0: Welcome to the Keyforge Premier League podcast, where we will focus on the people of the community that are contributing to the growth of our sport. Get inside perspectives on the reasons they play Keyforge, what they think about the community, and various other sidebars and hijinks. Be sure to go to the website www.keyforgepremierleague.com to find everything you need to know to get started on your path to the top. Thank you again for tuning into the podcast. And if you have any inputs or requests, please reach out to us at Keyforge Premier League at gmail.com and we will do our best to represent the demand of the player base. The Keyforge Premier League is by the community for the community. and don't forget that this weekend we have the holiday triad treat event best of one triad tournament 75 sas cap for each deck three different sets must be represented in your triad basically your opponent will ban one you'll pick from the two that remain there can be no heart of the forest and it is a ten dollar entry fee that will be matched ten dollars for every entrant and the charity that we're going to donate that $10 to for every entrant is Doctors Without Borders, uh, the COVID unit of it. Um, We also have a giveaway of a $75 Luxurious PlayStyle gift card from Maddie Casper at uh, Luxurious PlayStyle. And we have four spots up for grabs for the season two of the KFPL. And if you haven't heard, we're into our top four now. Um, Go check out the YouTube for more information on that. And hopefully we'll see you guys this weekend as uh, we'll be live casting it on our Twitch stream as well. So uh, look forward to seeing you play. If you're not playing, at least stop by and say hello and let's talk some Keyforge. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. And welcome to the Keyforge Premier League Weekly. This is Jupiter from Manlius, New York. And I have back with me my co-host and my partner and now teammate, Drazkor. Welcome to the United Archons.
1: Thank you, thank you. This is all this is all new and exciting now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, like this. Is what happens when you become friends? You basically become family and become a team. That's what it is, right? So cool, i all I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. We'll see how this goes. But um, so this week's episode, I chose the the topic this time. Um, I had an idea of what I wanted to do because I've been reading a lot of feedback on the uh, Facebook page, and I've been seeing a lot of people asking questions about certain things about this system called SAS and uh, sass numbers and what do they really mean to a quality of deck and like what does it mean to um have a good deck versus a bad deck and why is it sometimes that a 71 deck can beat an 86 deck blah 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 um, lots and lots and lots and lots of variables um and so we wanted to maybe try to Demystify some of that for you um, and give you newer players uh, an idea of what SAS is and give you uh, players who just don't really look into SAS, like what maybe you're missing in the SAS and like what might be a little bit different. So I will turn over to Draskor as he is our pace setter and uh, I will let him carry out his agenda because he, <laughs> he does these great written agendas. So I just kind of tag along and talk. So
1: Sounds good. Sounds good. So, uh, so I guess. For, for the newer folks maybe we should just give a little overview of what, what SAS even is. So uh, so SAS is a basically a deck rating system and it is hosted on the Decks of Keyforge website. Great website um, that hosts uh probably one of the you know the best sources for just information on decks and cards and whatnot that that's out there. Uh you know I know I'm a patron of, of Dex of Keyforge and, and uh, many SMR. folks are. As ever. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Now, um, you know, and I really, before we, before we start talking trash about SAS <laughs> not talking trash, right, but I, I do want to clarify that, you know, I really like Dex of Keyforge and I, I really like SAS and coming up with a perfect system would be, well, really, really hard. There's no such thing as perfect, right? So, uh, I think SAS is pretty good but there's some things about it that are uh, really good and some things about it that are just, just hard to do. And uh, that's some of the reasons why sometimes Sass can't necessarily tell you the whole story about about decks.
0: Right. If you're, um, if, if you're all in on SAS as your one-all-be-all-stop shop, like, I can you a bunch of decks that are in the 80s if you let me look through your collection find what i want but um mm-hmm. the idea the idea here the, the idea here is to give you this knowledge that i've had i've been a fan of sass since day one um i've talked to nathan like tons and tons of times even before i came on the show today i gave him a quick pm just to verify that some of the inklings and things i think about SAS were right or wrong or indifferent so um i am absolutely a patron of SAS. i absolutely believe in what he does he does a great service to the community as far as um you know taking the time out of his family and his day to basically create these generate and generate these uh systems to help people kind of better see their decks and stuff so with that all said um data is data how you process data is the thing that matters, right? Like, would, like, are you able to basically pull the things that you want to pull from decks and figure out? So that's what we're here to kind of discuss and kind of go over as we go through SAS.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think at this point, and and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jupiter, if I'm not thinking one, but I can't think of any other real uh, ranking system out there anymore. There used to be other ones, uh, yeah. but uh, they've really all elsewise fallen by the wayside. Um, because the you know the person creating it has uh, decided they didn't want to upkeep it or or just cuz they weren't as good as, as SAS is.
0: Yeah, um, there there was originally a different program that I cannot remember the name of, but I really didn't like it as much. But uh SAS basically when it came along it kind of was they were kind of the same kind of idea, but SAS ended up being better numbers like the statistics and stuff, so people fell off of the other one. Um, and it was like, it basically gave you plus minuses and all the different categories it had, it gave you ideas based on the curve and all that. And then SAS just kind of got better. And then when it went away, SAS adapt, like took all the things that were positive from it and added it to SAS. And then, uh, there was this thing called Ranky that came out for a while, but Ranky Mm -hmm. was basically a hack of SAS. Like they Mm -hmm. basically used SAS to figure out their numbers. So whenever SAS switched, Ranky went crazy and people couldn't figure it out. But Ranky was the hot topic because it had an app and all that. So, um, right sass are cool and sass and sass was (laughs) sass has just always been the the consistent like somewhat consistent opinion right like um sass is still an opinion of players but these are educated players that have been playing key fortunes day one and um it is still a collection a a compilation of numbers that matter and uh that how you Di- like differentiate and how you pull apart these uh, synergies and anti-synergies, hint, hint, uh, acronym. Um, that's basically what we're looking at here. So there's a lot of different things that are around that people um, have that kind of assist, in, assist or do something similar to SAS as well. I know um, knowledge is power, I think, has something that is in a parallel to it. Um, but I'm not fully, I'm not up enough on that to know exactly to speak on it. So I'd rather just stick to SAS cause it is the old faithful,
1: right? Right. The only other score I sometimes on occasion hear people refer to is the burger token score, which mm. I think is, is really just a random number, number generator. It's basically a joke, but it is, it is kind of a funny joke <laughs> to be able to say my deck got a one or my deck got a whatever. <laughs> On uh, there's on actually a there's token a, there,
0: I think there's actually some kind of math to it, but like nobody is serious about burger token scores.
1: Yeah, it's it seems pretty random when, when I was looking at it. I, I don't know. It don't might know, be but, it uh, might be now, but like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm.
0: not it's not what matters. And the thing is, is that the amount of math and time that uh, Nathan has put into SAS makes it the easy, you, you know, one stop shop for cataloging and having as a, a deck organizing uh, system and database like uh, you couldn't ask for more. Um, and like I said, he does it pretty much free. Like he has people like us that kind of pay to uh, help him along his his route. Mm-hmm. But like um, you know, we do that because we respect it and because we use it. Like I use it every day. I use DOK. So um, and now he has auction features and all kinds of things. Um, if you're not familiar with DOK and you want to know more about like DOK in general, um, and you're like a beginner, like hit me up on a PM um, or hit me up on Facebook, and I will be more than glad to walk you through SAS. Um, and I, you know what, I'll, I'll probably make a video for YouTube and put it out again about Sass and basics. Cause I have some guys in the Navy that uh, are starting to play the game and I promised them I would make them some, uh, tutorial videos. So thank you to all the Submariners out there that are picking up the game and starting to play. Um, special shout out to Zach, who's the chief select now, um, down there in, uh, Georgia. So you know who you are, you know who I'm talking about. So you guys <laughs> rock and thank you for your service. Um, Hoorah, hoo
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So, so when I think about SAS, right, I think, and I see a SAS score, normally what I'm thinking is this score is directionally correct, right? So, um, you know, maybe within, I don't know, plus minus five, may- maybe plus minus 10 on certain occasions, some really weird interactions. But, you know, hey, on average, a deck with a sass in the 80s is going to be quite quite a bit better than a deck within you know the 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 50s right maybe that's that's the easy (laughs) the easy thing to say once those numbers start getting closer closer it starts to become a lot harder to just blindly look at the sass score and say oh yeah this deck is is such and such a score this deck is is uh therefore better you know i think it it sort of depends on what makes up the deck as to how well sas sizes it up to some extent how recent the set is right probably on average um a little better at call the archons the first set than at mass mutation. Um, you know in part just because code has been around longer mm uh, has less time to for us to see what's out there plus we don't know it, the exact uh, bonus icons where they are for mm which makes it a little tricky but um um but overall i think it's directionally correct
0: i believe that uh, sas is going to get harder and harder to be overly correct because um it can only really take in so many things to compensate for the different sets right like um like you said Mm -hmm. with mass mutations you see that we're getting these uh pips that go wherever they go and that's really hard to determine that's why mass mutations is kind of weird and then like uh you will have like say dark tidings comes out and now we have a tide shift and like so cards are going to be weaker and stronger depending on how they shift tides right um, or something along those lines from what I've heard and so something like, like that <laughs> yeah so so like the idea with that is is like you know th- that's going to be that set but the one thing that SAS can do is it can give you the breakdowns of each set and how it compares to itself. Um, And that's something I think when you say directionally correct, I think that's kind of what you're hinting at is the fact that if you take AOA and you look at AOA, AOA has numbers and like you can look at AOA versus AOA because they're using the same metrics across AOA. And so the data points are are more similar than they would be if I took like AOA versus where it's Clyde versus mass mutations. And to give you guys an example, like an average deck in Coda is a 63 SAS. An average deck in aoa is a 60 an average deck in worlds collide is 63 an average deck in mass mutations is 67. so um that's kind of like where i'm at with uh with the way when i when i'm looking at this stuff uh, like uh, you know so that means that if i want to get you know that above average deck i'm looking at scores of 69 for World's Clyde and Coda. I'm looking at 66 for an AOA deck. I'm looking for 73s around for a mass mutations deck, um, right? But then, like, if I want to get to the really extreme, like the really good stuff, then you're looking at the next, like, the 20 to 30 percent range is 80 to 87 uh 80 80 and up basically 75 and up 72 and up 75 and up so 75 Coda, 75 worlds collide those are kind of similar and they both go up um from there and then like aoa is 72 and up and then mass mutations would be 80 plus to be just as good on that same 10 percent level of looking at set comparison to set so um again these are statistics that like are maybe not hardcore hard evidence on what a deck can do or can't do but it's kind of like when i look at my my cards and stuff like that and i see like a 72 aoa i know that it has more value than a 72 worlds collide or a 72 coda deck they're not the same right because not all cards are created the same not all sets are created the same
1: and that's very much sort of on average right Mm -hmm. i mean the you know, you have to look at the individual deck to really get a sense for for mm-hmm. what it is and and where it plays out. You know, in some ways, I actually wouldn't want it to be too good or too perfect. I have so much fun just going through, you know, the cheap sales in on DOK and and eBay, mm-hmm. uh, but but largely DOK because it's so easy mm-hmm. and just trying to find something I think is a real good value and uh, that. You know, if the, if the scores were perfect, <laughs> you, you wouldn't really be able to do that. Suddenly things become, become much easier to price and harder to find the, those deals.
0: Yeah, and so, like, uh, another cool t- tool on on SAS and on Decks of Keyforge is, like, they have all these charts at the very top of the uh, the program, like, uh, basically between your pull-down bar and the actual SAS scores. Um, where you get the layout of your deck but uh, they have like the SAS, the synergy the and synergy if you're wondering where i get these averages from they're basically right there for you he makes basically a bell curve for everything so that you can see where your deck lines up in the general average of things and i think that a lot of people think that the averages are really the above averages etc and like you know that's what they're looking for and stuff like that so then they start to like sell off and like what i told you like before was like in what i what i tried to push the point home is is that an average deck which means not 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 good, not bad, but like right in the middle for CODA is a 63 but who's going to buy a 63 deck, right? Like, like, mm-hmm. because, oh no, it's SAS, is too low, right? Like you want 70s, mm-hmm. um, but you know, 63 is the average. 60 is the uh, average for AOA, 63 for Worlds Collide, 67 for Mass Mutation. What does that mean? That means that anything above those numbers is starting to trend upwards, right? Like it's starting to get better than just the bulk average, right? Nobody right. wants to be barely above those numbers, but like it, a 10% increase puts you at 69 um for coda and worlds collide 66 for aoa and 73 for mass mutations so those are all good starting points for very like i would say local level um you know competitive play like like uh you know it's I don't think it would be great at regional I think at regional you want 20% or more and then like if you're going to like a vault tour you want 30% or more like for the most part in general again these are all kind of yeah. not hard numbers ever right because they're basically statistical data but um let's take a look at the SAS elements and the things that we talk about like what is arc and what is like all these letters that you keep hearing about and let's talk about what the real purpose and what the real what you should be looking for in these numbers when you're looking at decks um to basically be better and again this is a general blanket it's not meant to be perfect um it's meant to be Something to help you start thinking about things when you see things. So let's uh, let's do it this way so that we're not stepping on each other, Draz. Let's uh, take turns uh, picking things that we find like that we look for like when we go in to find a deck. So okay. I'm just I'm just gonna open up a deck in my list so I can see these numbers and these I'm gonna things. do the same thing. So. Um i'm ready whenever you are i'll let you go first i'll let you take the pick of the numbers
1: all right all right well i'm gonna i'm gonna start going around the wheel here that he's got in the percentile ranklings i'm gonna go with uh, expected ember right so uh, e uh, for for short so expected ember is just based on the sas calculation how much ember do should you expect to get out of this deck? by just playing the deck through one time, right? If you get through the deck exactly once, on average, decks of thinks things, this random deck I pulled up, will get 17 Ember. And that is a combination of, in this case, the 11 bonus Ember pips it's got on the cards, plus a few other cards in the deck that it generates an expected number Ember number four. So for example, I have Cleansing Wave in this deck, and the magical formula, has decided I will get two point zero two ember on average <laughs> out of cleansing wave in this deck. Um, so, um, if you've got a high number there, right, you you maybe feel like you don't have to do special stuff to to get to your eighteen ember needed to win the game. If you have a low number there, maybe you gotta you, you gotta lean towards reaping a lot more. You gotta try to work a little harder to make that cleansing wave hit for more St- stuff like that. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah.
0: expected Ember. Yeah, so Expected Ember is interesting. And that and all these statistics are not the same. Like when you like scroll over the expected ember number in your box, right? Like you scroll over the little ember icon there. It's the second one down on the left. Um, it is going to show you a list of all the cards that he graded and how he graded them. So what you can do is you can open it up and now you can start to put your own thoughts and processes into like how much is effective and like how much is not effective, like uh, in, in how you feel a card feels, right? Um, a, uh, expected Amber is one of my, like, s- like it's, it's very important to me um, when I'm looking at decks. Um, Expected Ember, um, again, is going to range depending on the deck that you're picking out um, in the set that it's in. But again, you have a bell curve at the top of the list that's going to tell you where your expected Ember average is. And you definitely do not want to be below average on expected Ember. And um, so that means you need 18 plus, like, all the time. Like, um, well, not all the time, but... You you want to be above 20 really like honestly like most of the time like 20 is a, is a solid number I round it to 20 and I'm looking for something in that ballpark plus or minus a couple right um, and the more plus the the more comfortable I feel that my deck is going to be able to keep up the more minus the the worse I go and uh, part of this expected amber thing the, that's half of what I care I'll, I'll care a lot about but the other half is this thing called bonus amber that uh, you basically got to go under extras it's the second one down on extras. Uh, bonus amber is also known as what we call in the game raw amber. Um, this is basically cards that have pips, and uh, how many pips are generated just from playing cards. This is a very important thing in Keyforge because how do you win? You win by playing amber, and um, it's not something that is put on a, on a curve or anything like this or that. But I, I will tell you right now that that number the closer it is to your key count the better so 18 is ideal right because that means that you have a hip per amber needed to generate three keys right but um it's not very feasible that every deck is going to have 18 that's super high so the idea i think here is you want like 10 to 12 at minimum and then the more you get the better right and so i i put a lot of value like on raw amber and on this uh on this count right here for the bonus amber um so that'll be my my my, my first one
1: yeah yeah and i think you're right I it's the first thing i look at and i do want that number to be high right it's it's hard to make a deck work if that number is very low though just to throw a counterpoint out there hmm. uh right the the deck that um you know we've talked about a few times now, Master of Knock Burning, mm-hmm. has an expected ember of nine point one. Mm-hmm. So that is extremely low, mm-hmm. yet obviously was able to to, to, to do very well. Mm-hmm. So there's it, always exceptions, which it, makes Sass hard to do extremely well.
0: Right. Well, I don't think that raw ember and expected amber are the tell alls, though. They're they're important to me, right? like but they're not the tell alls. There are t- Three stats that I consider tell alls. Hmm? Yes. I'm not gonna tell you what they are. I'm gonna let you go ah, about your business. We, we
1: will find that out. Why don't we go to the next one? Which which would you like to select, sir?
0: It's your turn. I did mine.
1: <laughs> oh, did you? I thought I selected it. I did bo-
0: I, I did yeah, I did bonus ember.
1: Uh oh, oh you're counting bonus ember. Alright, alright. I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna go around the horn here on the and I'm gonna go to Ember Control A. Ring right, so bing. on okay, it's right above, right? And this, this is in competition for the second thing I look at. Depends on my mood. There's one other sometimes I'll look at second. Um, but expect an Ember, or excuse me, Ember control is basically, how are you going to stop your opponent from forging? Either by stealing their Ember, by capturing their Ember, by increasing their key costs, by getting rid of their Ember uh, in some fashion. Mm-hmm. So... If you've got a high number here, you can hold off your opponent from their win until you can make your win condition. If you have a low number here, in general, you need to just get to your win condition quickly because you're going to have trouble stopping your opponent from forging. Which in some decks, right, if you have a really high expected ember, then uh, you might be able to do real well uh, anyway. But but uh, I think on average being able to stop your opponent from forging keys is pretty important.
0: I am going to tell you that is one of my Trinity. Like that is definitely a very important characteristic to me because, um, and honestly, like I guess if you want to say expected amber is part of this, but there has to be a ratio that is in your favor between expected amber and amber control, if that makes sense. Like it's all amber to me, right? Amber is very important to me. Um, if you've heard me do any other podcast, you know, you should already know what my trinity is. But uh, the idea of amber is one part, right? And the amber control versus your expected amber versus your bonus amber, they all play together, and then somehow you have to be able to generate amber. If all these numbers are below average or crappy the chance that your deck is good is almost none like uh, and that is because you cannot win the game without amber um there are exceptions you can play like a hard lock deck or something that basically puts a game into a position to where they can't do anything and you just win by weaseling up your amber and stuff like that but that is not the norm and that is not that is an anomaly a statistical anomaly that that happened because somebody forgot that heart of the forest should never have been printed
1: <laughs> like um,
0: right <laughs> something like that right like um there, uh-huh, are, there uh-huh. are there are weird things not to smack heart of the forest i love heart of the forest sorry jason i know do it's, you? I, 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 Yeah, i do i have two of them so
1: mm. <laughs> i have one it's not very good though
0: yeah i don't like well, one is really good and the other one is uh yeah whatever I could burn it; I wouldn't miss it. But um, <laughs> and some people would like me to burn all the heart of the forest decks because they hate me mm. so much. But uh, that's mm. that's a whole other game. Um, so with that said, um, we have. You brought up Amber Control. I think I, I made my point. Amber is important, um, so you can't mm-hmm. go bad. Um, the, the expected number for Amber Control for me is, like I like to see 10 or more. Um, that's my like percentage. 7 is the average, just so you know. Um, but uh, 10 or more, I think, is where I start to feel more comfortable about my deck if uh, I can get to that number. But anything 7 plus or minus is, is decent. But 10 is kind of like my magic number where I get real happy and I'm like, okay, cool. And uh, all, not all Amber Controls are created equal either. So if I see a lower number, like uh, in one of my decks, uh, block Tina, I have a 5.5 Amber Control. But my Amber Control is Lash of Broken Dreams, Interdimensional Graft, Charette, and Shuler. So those are all pretty solid Amber Control mm, cards. It's work and, together well. Yeah, yeah, and so I feel good about the little bit of Amber Control I have because they're all really good. But if I had a 5.5 in Amber Control and my cards were like, different, like they were basically worse cars. Let me find like a good example of an amber control that is in that ballpark of five that uh, I would not be so happy about. Like let's pick this one. What is this? Oh Jupiter, the lawbreaker of the Vexing Bay. Ooh, let's named start. after you. Yeah, let's see clearly. It so this one yeah, so this one has Miasma, Moon Cursor, Old Bruno, and essence Principle. Now, this set I'm not as excited about because Old Bruno is situational capture, right? And so that that amber will go back to people. is a small body; he's not going to stay around very long most of the time, so he's not very reliable. Miasma's good for one turn, and if uh, in principle is good for like taking away half the amber once. So, like that five doesn't feel great to me. Versus uh, that's on a seventy-two SAS deck, whereas the deck that I had just talked about, Blockina, Tina, that is a 71 sass deck but it has better amber control so like this like i said like the math sometimes in the SAS doesn't like add up and stuff but like when you get up into yep. the higher sasses like when you're above 80 with SAS and stuff like that your deck is doing some things really well and that's why that is so high um a lot of the times like i don't think you see a lot of decks over 80 that have less than 10 amber control unless they are a deck that has like in a uh expected amber of like 30 plus right because those are like
1: i I wonder actually i don't know i'd be curious if that played out certainly they probably there probably are a lot of like really really strong 80 plus decks that have that um but i mean with this algorithm that can just generate sort of whatever i mean you can have some really wonky decks out there that just have maybe a ton like a massive amount of efficiency and uh, maybe a massive amount of of creature control and, and, and no amber control like that that could that could happen
0: yeah i mean i, I do have a deck called jupiter that's an 82 uh, jupiter um masonry fidel um but it's a 6.8 amber control 18 expected but that's kind of average so that's not horrible uh 10 so it's on my low average of raw amber as well but it has 20 creature control and it has 19 speed so it pushes it. It pushes it to.
1: 80. Okay, <laughs> there you go. That's this example right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So like mm. it, it does. It does happen. But uh, so I think we've killed amber control. I'm pretty happy with that. But again, look for ten plus. Right. So we've said expected amber like twenty plus gen- general guideline. Uh, but bonus amber plus twelve. Uh, amber control plus ten. Now I will go ahead and I will bring into the mix the creature control. Um, creature control I think is more important now than it had been before because creature control before you could race and just race and race and like speed was the answer i think the game like if you've listened to our last podcast with phil um i think the game has gone to more to a mid mid uh you know a middle ground like a mid-range deck um where like you're basically trying to just get through the game get into a rhythm and then once you're in a rhythm you can end the game just by being effective through the game right so like um that means that creature control has to be at a bigger premium now than it had been before um the average creature control in most decks is around uh is around like eight or nine i think uh is what it was um in most sets but um i like again i just like to see a 10 here um i kind of round up to make it easy so i can have the math uh, not be conflicting with me, but um, like if we can hit like a ten on creature control, I'm pretty happy. And again, not all creature control is going to be the same either because a fear because a fear is a soft removal versus you know a key to this which is like get rid of everything when I want to removal, right? And like they're not created equal. And um, basically, if I have and and Corey's system like. Definitely, like accounts for that, right? Like in the deck I'm looking at right now, it has two fears at 0. 0.75. So my two fears are equal to 1.5 um, in this SAS score, and then my key to disc by itself is 4.5, right? Because for, key to disc is probably the best removal in the game, in my opinion. But um, that's an argument for another debate. But um,
1: <laughs> it's quite good.
0: It is because it can be played at any time once it's in play. Like the only bad thing about key to disc is you usually have to wait a turn to play it. So. Other than that, like uh, you can play it whenever you want to. There's no chains. Um, it can be hard removed, so that's kind of crappy. But I, I don't know. Like Gateway is right behind it, obviously, but um, Gateway does give you three chains, and it is like a, an action, situational action that you have to be in decent to pull off, or you know, pull a trick. So, like, sure. um, so it's like um, that's why I, I think Key to this is best. But that's a super good. Like, whenever I see Kitty to dis in a deck, I'm pretty happy. If I see gateway to dis, I'm pretty happy. If I see three fates or, like, any kind of dis, like, creature mass removal is pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, um, even their soft removal is great. Like, their hysterias and stuff. Like, just lots of great removal in dis, but that's kind of what you expect in a house that's based on disruption, right? So
1: Yeah, yeah, a ton of good <laughs> stuff, right? And, and I do find myself... Uh... Competing, I find it competing depending on my mood whether or not I look at Ember Control or Creature Control second when I'm looking at a at a deck list. And um, you know, I'm definitely interested in that raw number, but but for this one, I, I do like to poke a little deeper mm-hmm. um, in terms of hey, does it have a board clear? If it does, I'm I'm probably willing to let that number go a little lower. If mm-hmm. it doesn't. Then I'm probably a little more suspicious, right? There's definitely a lot of decks out there with decently high creature control numbers. but um, it's a lot of ping damage, especially now with um, you know damage pips in mass mutation. is it's it's questionable if you're actually going to be able to get rid of that important uh, that big saurian card on the other side of the board. And uh, that might be the difference in the game, whether or not you can take out SpartaZar. So um, it's uh, something I, I, I dig in a little deeper.
0: Yeah, like, um, and I think you have to, like, you have to have that kind of respect for that uh, that game plan, right? Um, and it's interesting when you look at the bell curves for like uh, creature control, like, uh, and where they pan, pan up. But for most of the sets, they're similar, very, very similar um so creature control i I think is a part of the game where they feel comfortable and they don't really adjust as much but like the uh, like when you look at efficiency and stuff like that there's been an uptick in the efficiency of the game as far as like the speed and stuff and that would be the next section that i i think we would head into um and that's and that's the third part of my triad right like um so you have amber you have port, control, and control, and then you have efficiency. It's like we've talked about this before, I think.
1: But uh, <laughs> We, we um, did. We had an episode on this, but that's cool. Let's go. Yeah, Let's yeah, do yeah. it.
0: Yep, yep. So, like, uh, <laughs> so if you want to hear about that, go back and find it. Um, it's on, the, on Anchor. Um, so the idea here is that you have... Another ca- characteristic that kind of pushes your deck along and stuff, right? So now you have this, like, core guideline. And again, here for efficiency, the average, um, the highest average is actually, like, around five. Like, five is, like, the key, like, average number. But again, ten. Just go with the rule of ten, right? We'll call it the rule of ten. Um, the rule of ten uh, it will take you far in helping you find decks that are good. If I can look at my... Um, if I can look at my numbers and I see a ten in my A, a ten in my C, and a ten in my F, I know that at at least I'm playing a very like somewhat above average deck as long as those are those cards that are affecting those numbers are good. Um, and again, that depends on like how things come into uh, how it plays out, right? So, sure. Um, and then with mass mutations, you have to take into effect that there's pips and where the pips are going and what they're doing. Um, so, like they like so many variables right so many things to look at and really the what it all is going to boil down to is how much you play your deck how much you play like play your um your combos and your lines and how much you really know how your deck is supposed to work and how much you've discovered about it because i play some decks that i have had forever um and i still sometimes go oh man why didn't i ever think of doing that like Mm um like Let's 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 do a story time real quick. Let's do. Do it. You since I'm putting you on the spot. So if you can do it, go ahead. If not, I'll go first. But I'll let you go first. But tell me a story about something that you did that you discovered at one point in Keyforge, and you went, man, that's ridiculous. Like why? Like you know, you felt like you big-brained it. Like give me a big-brain play that uh, you've done in 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 Keyforge.
1: That I just sort of stumbled into. Um... Yeah,
0: something that's not common. Like something like that is just like. It blew your brain. Do you need to give me? You want me to go with my my? Uh, yeah, why, my why don't
1: you go first? I'm, gonna, I'm okay. gonna quickly try to think of that. Yeah. All
0: right. So it recently happened to me because I have not played Crassius or. Um, very much, right? Um, I just now started playing with him, and uh, for you guys that don't know what a Crassiosaur does, a Crassiosaur is a four power creature with two armor that comes into play as elusive. But uh, when he comes into play, he captures ten amber. So I can take ten amber from like up to ten amber from my opponent. If he only has like seven, then he I can take three from myself and put ten on the Crassiosaur. Um, but there has to be at least there has to be a combination of ten amber. Um, then if Crassiosaur has fewer than ten amber on it, purge Crassiosaur. Um, so I was playing a game against somebody that was playing a card called Strange Gizmo, and he populated the board with two-thirds of the creatures that were in his deck at the time that he played the Strange Gizmo for some reason. And um, so like, I caught on to that he had overcommitted to the board, and then he played a Strange Gizmo to get the Amber Pit and play behind me. Um, this was a thing that was timely for me because i was able to go you know what like i have four amber he has two amber he has all his creatures in play right now so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna play my crassiosaur for six give him six amber he forges a key and he blows up his strange gizmo So I get a board wipe for giving him a key. And since it was the first key, it was not that bad. And then I was able to steamroll the rest of the game, basically, uh, because he couldn't really bring any more creatures out that I couldn't deal with. And I I was able to basically, you know, shoot ahead because I was, uh, you know, I had a, you know, a decent amount of cards to go crazy with. So, um, and the deck that I was playing had 14 raw Amber. So I was able to just generate lots of value that way. So that was a kind of fun thing. And like, I don't know how often that will ever occur, but because it was a random rare, um, you know, interaction, I, I, I wanted to share that story because that's kind of stuff that like you only get to see that or think about that when you've played the deck so many times and you've seen certain matchups, like how many times in my life will I ever get to do that again? Maybe never, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but because I was there at the time and I was able to slow down and think about how can I best use my card, I get to walk away with that story and I'm sorry if you are the person out there that I did that to, Cause you got really, <laughs> you, 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 you got really pissed and three turns later you quit, but um, it's okay. Because you know what? Keyforge does bad things to people sometimes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and whenever stuff like that happens to me, whenever I'm receiving in, I'm like, you know what? I just learned something like mm-hmm. I'm going to see if I can do something, something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, so I don't know if my story is quite as good. I was quickly f- scrolling through my decks to try to to <laughs> jog my memory and and this is this is what I came up with in the in, in the 30 seconds I was scrolling here. so
0: yeah,
1: um so it's a deck questron the veteran of sharks, right? We won't go through the whole thing, but the 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 crux of the story is that it's got uh three rad pennies, two of which are enhanced. It's got a master plan. And it's got a fandangle. And I was getting towards the bottom of my deck. And it was in a situation where I was uh I was a little bit behind and I wasn't I I wasn't drawing my fandangle. I wasn't drawing some of the things that uh I I wanted in order to um to, to to do my thing, right? So uh and then I sort of just stumbled into the end at the sort of the end of the deck here, I had my Lady Lorena out and I I, had, um, uh, I was able to get the Fandangle under the master plan, and I drew my, my rad pennies. And then the next turn, I was able to play out the Fandangle, play out all the red pennies to steal, fight all the rad pennies to kill them all. They're now the only three cards in my deck, and now I draw three cards. And uh, so I had the, the Fandangle under taunt from the Lady Lorena, and was able just to the other guy wasn't able to didn't have like a targeted kill in hand and was having trouble taking out the fandangle, so I was able to just keep cycling the red pennies and uh and it ended up ended up for the win. So that was kinda cool.
0: Yeah, that's that's actually kinda cool. Like uh that's fun. And I, like, uh, like all kinds of funny interactions that happen. Like, uh, I've seen somebody, like, do that with a pincerator and Rad Penny and just basically play his Rad mm-hmm. Pennies on the ends and pincerate them yeah. back into his deck and just, like, have, like, a cycle that way. So that was interesting, too. Um, another funny story that I had that kind of left somebody sour to me was a guy playing uh, a double... Ultra Gravitron deck, um, and he mm. claims to be from Beer Forge, but he's not one of the main Beer Forge guys because those guys uh, I've listened to and stuff for a while, and like before when they were uh, more active. But um, they, um, you know, he was—he's kind of a like a real. Not nice person, I'll say. All right? I won't okay. say. I won't say what his name is, but if you ever play against him, he has a double Graviton deck. There's not many of them out there. But uh, he basically was playing against one of my decks that has a Mimic uh, in it, and uh, Mimic Gel. And what ha- what happened was on turn one, I played um, whatever I played. like It was nothing major, but it was uh, able to get me a card. I think it was like an Igor or something. And like uh, so I got to get some value there. And then he comes out on his turn, and he plays a... Um, a Graviton, you know, combo who gets Graviton out turn two. Like, turn one, basically, his first turn. And so, then on my turn, I go, okay, cool, Um, let me find the deck so I can tell you guys what deck I was playing. I knew which one it is, I just can't remember. I think the name is Sin, Sin something. But uh, if you look at my deck list, it's a deck called Sin... Uh, Sin, 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 sin. Where are you, sin?
1: You can almost just make it up at this point.
0: I don't want to make it up. I want to be real. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanna I wanna I wanna put this point out. But like uh yeah, Sin La Lunisa Architecta del Kenzo. It's a seventy seven. I guess it's better than I thought. But um so I have the Mimic Gel in hand and what card did I play to get oh I played a daughter first turn, that's what it was. And then uh, it was able to go into my turn, so then on my second turn after he plays his Graviton to get some value off of it, I go cool and then I go um, tattoo Vapors, and then I go Mimic Gel, which both were in my hand to start with, but I think he thinks I, I, I Tattooed into the Mimic Gel or whatever. But then I'm able to Mimic Gel and hit his Gravitron with the Mimic trail, so I get to archive five cards and I have a Gravitron too now. And then the next turn I go into my Untamed House, and I'm able to play three imprinted Mermooks and then he gets really sour and like i my deck has four imprinted vermux in a, in a mimic gel so it does this mm. per, it does this a lot um and it's not nice but um it's funny and uh you know so long story short is like you know like it was cool because i didn't know that mimic gel at the time that I did it, like I wasn't sure the mimic gel would actually clone the graviton, but then like because it you know it did and it gave me the archive, I was like oh that's dope like right uh-huh. that was uh-huh. that, and, and that's not even a major interaction that's just a small one but because I got to play mimic gel which is, again is a rare, um, I was able to get that interaction um, so um, and on a sour note like uh, I've played jar google in my newest deck uh, a lot and like I learned that um, if you are under a like stealth mode or whatever and uh you have Google and it has an action under it and you fight your google mm. you fight yeah. your google that action will not go off it will just get discarded so you know yeah you, you, <laughs> you learn through reps and uh that's i guess what we're wow. getting at but um when you're doing deck evaluations and stuff like that back to what our actual topic was before we sidebarred um <laughs> you know like it all comes with experience, I guess, is what we're telling you. Yep. Uh, what I'm telling you is uh, you want to basically be playing the game, playing as many different cards as you can, good, bad, and different, right? And um, the important thing is, is that you're getting the experience and you're getting the reps in. What are the benefits of teams and Keyforge? The benefits of teams and Keyforge is that you have people that you can test with and you know their skill level. It is a lot more important to basically make other people better with you and to basically raise your skill level with a known commodity than to play a bunch of random people because you don't know how good they are or how well they're piloting the deck that you're playing against so um do you think that the people in the keyforge premier league practice like their games like they let's say let's let's take the team from germany hamburg atlanteans do you think that they just go out there and just randomly play random people the whole time no they play against each other and it's basically steel sharp steal right so like um they did really really well in kfpo so,
1: so i practiced against randos <laughs> <laughs> and i i i did not make the top cut <laughs>
0: well you had every i mean making it to the league was a pretty tough attack. oh yeah oh yeah a tough call it in tough. itself so and now you have a team so next season you'll be there stronger. you go excellent I'm excited.
1: I'm, I'm excited. excited.
0: All right, so we're going long-winded here.
1: All right, should we pick? Should we should we rock and roll through the other uh, the other stats?
0: Yeah, let's let's go. All
1: right, do we? I don't think we did artifact control yet. R. So hmm. um, so artifact control. Right. So I think there's a there's been a back and forth argument over the course of the sets as to how important it is to have artifact control. I think uh, early on there was a relatively convincing argument that you didn't need it, but I think more and more as we into world's collide and now into mass mutation, I think this is a stronger and stronger argument that you do need to be able to take out your opponent's artifacts and so just having a little bit there can be can be really useful uh, I normally look for like one point five because normally one point five means you have hard removal or like a close to hard removal like a borrow or something um but uh, you do have to investigate, right? Sometimes it's a double snudge, you know, Yeah, double snudge, or triple nexus, or something. I don't know uh, that uh, is is bumping that number up, and those are good to have. But um, um, I think I think you'd prefer to have a non-zero number there.
0: What are the three best artifact removal spells that you look for?
1: Uh, Poltergeist,
0: mm-hmm.
1: reclaimed by nature,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and
0: those are the easy two.
1: Yeah, so... Well, also, I guess, either Borrow or lifter, maybe?
0: Yep. Very Uh high percentages for those two, actually. You remember that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh... Those... I feel
0: like you you learned that from the last podcast.
1: Maybe. Maybe (laughs) I did. Who knows? (laughs) I try to learn. I try to learn. Uh, Hawk (laughs) is
0: really good, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hawk is very good. Hawk is very good. The, uh... Yeah.
0: So there's some examples of the artifact control you want to see basically. If you have a couple remote accesses and a snudge it's not as good as it is if you have a single hawk or you have a single poltergeist like uh
1: Yeah. It's good to see. Oh those. man, I made a huge mistake with the remote access today actually on D- on uh on TCO. I I thought I could trigger and kill my opponent's um wants it. their Obsidian Forge just by activating it. But uh, oh, no. turns out you actually need to forge the key in order to uh, blow it up. Yeah. And uh, normally I'm not trying to just blow it up, so uh, I shouldn't have called into logos in the first place if I wasn't able to do that. And uh, it was all downhill from there in that game. <laughs>
0: yeah, but learn.
1: Yeah, you learn.
0: Like TCO does not matter. Your win loss on Crucible Tracker does not matter. Uh, what matters is the quality of reps that you put in, and then when it counts, you provide. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I'm playing in my first. I'm playing in my first competitive league in a long time. Uh, ABR. I'm also playing in Code A. So uh, so far my record this season in four games is three and one. So it's not pretty bad. good. Not bad. Pretty good. Uh-huh. Two and zero in ABR. So that's the one that matters most to me because it's.
1: Because uh, <laughs> because the record's better. Yeah. I'm no, one and one right there right now. No, I, uh, I, but... I
0: mean I, I care about that one because I have a team that. Uh, Mm, like mm-hmm. ten, there's a ten person team in that, right? Like it's a, and you get yep. drafted, so like it feels extra mm-hmm. weight. Yeah. Then I get drafted, then I get drafted by the guy that I'm running league with, so I'm like, okay, that's. I got, <laughs> I got, I got, I got an answer to Z now. Like. Uh...
1: There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's fun. The guys we got is good. We got a good team name, Skippy's Time Hogs. <laughs> Lots of uh, hog references. It's fun. It's fun.
0: Where's ZFA? The, the Z Force. Uh...
1: Makes sense yeah.
0: yeah agents cool, cool. agents.
1: all right which one are we doing next uh, where you want to go
0: whatever you want like this can wrap up
1: pretty quick how about not- how about effective power why don't we talk about that one
0: yeah it's pretty useless how's that
1: yeah i don't even try to calculate this one when i just manually read a deck Mm-mm. um i i sort of eyeball it more than anything i was like oh big Saurian, big sanctum like that might matter um or i might eyeball it and say I got nothing stronger than a four, right? That that might matter, mm-hmm. um, but but on average it doesn't, right? I mean, maybe if you're if you're up against it's very matchup dependent, right? If you're up against like Gangrenaut or, or something where you wish you had a big guy to absorb that, then then maybe you're sad. But for the most part, it's not not that big a deal. Yeah.
0: I agree. Like I, I don't think it's that important. Disruption, not that important. Anything else is pretty much not that important. I guess the next most important thing is key cheat. Like, uh, like mm-hmm. I like, I like to see a key cheat just because uh, key cheats warp games, right? Like uh, they change the, uh, the the speed at which you can get to the end. Um, so key cheats are dangerous. But um, so having a key cheat yep. is a bonus, but not, definitely not a necessity, right? So now um, I will. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I'm say So, like, my general is I want that 10 in A, um, I want that 10 in uh, creature control, I'd like to see a 20 in expected amber, and I'd like to see a 10 in speed. So, so if I have a 10, 10, 20, I feel my deck is going to be off to a pretty hard start, and then again I want to see 12 plus raw amber. So, th- that's kind of like... What I look for Mm -hmm. in a deck, Um, and I'm Mm always—that's going to make me look hard at a deck, right? Is that the only thing? No, not at all. It can be definitely be balanced like different kinds of numbers. Like the deck I'm looking at right now, that sin deck I was talking about—it's a 4.2 in amber control, a 7.3 in in creature control, a 19 expected amber, a nine in raw amber, and only a 14 in speed. So it only hits the mark for me in one, maybe two, if you count the 19 being close. Um, you know, it only has two. But then when I look at my untamed suite and I see four imprinted mermooks and a mustic mermook with a, nature's call and a key charge, it changes my opinion quickly about that. <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Because those imprinted mermooks do not count as bonus amber, right? But they technically are an amber when they come into play, right? They're giving mm-hmm. you an amber towards your count. Pretty much. So, um, so that nine is very warped. And then I also have a mimic. So like I can have up to, I can make keys for one. <laughs> That'd be pretty sweet. I've done
1: it once. Pretty sweet.
0: <laughs> done it once. It was great.
1: <laughs> so the one other stat I will look at sometimes situationally mm-hmm. is creature protection. So if I've got a bunch of valuable creatures that I want to keep alive, I will look at this one. But um but certainly not all the time, right? Um you know if i've got a few eddies out there that i want to keep alive or like helmsman spears or something like that having some ways to get taunt to get ward can be really valuable but certainly not every deck
0: i've never looked at creature protection ever no because i think it's innate for me to look for protection for things that need protection so if i have ember mcs yes, i want a shadow self if i have ember Imps, yes i want a true brewer yes i want something that's going to take you know to protect them um but um you know chubaru could be good could be bad like it's a catchy because i don't want to play a chubaru if you have lights out or if you have lost in the woods right but if you don't have those cards then chubaru is just fine like he's a he's an amber he's an amber battery right like he holds on you pay three and you get five in return when he's done with his utility Mm -hmm. right so but uh i'm looking at creature protection without looking if you haven't looked already but uh what is the average creature protection for most decks
1: oh i it's i don't know it's probably relatively low. I'm going to say like one or two or something. Yeah, it's two. Two. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So if you are looking at anything over I would say like four or greater then you have pretty good You have pretty good creature protection. Yeah. You're probably rocking some ward abilities and some taunt abilities and it's always good to have those. I, sure. I, I do agree with them, but I don't think that's something I ever thought about looking at the actual creature protection number. Like I said, I'm pretty set in my 10-10-10-20 gotcha. like, uh, pocket, but that i mean you miss things like that right like if you don't Mm -hmm. actually take the time to look at a desk you can definitely miss things all right so with that all said like uh us being sidetracked and telling stories and stuff like that we kind of got off Mm -hmm. to craziness but um i think what we're going to do is go to our New game that we're going to play. I well, so,
1: Jupiter, right, I feel like if we're talking about SAS, we have to at least mention synergy and anti synergy, even if we've gone longer than we expected oh, to on, on uh, ARC, right? Sure. Because the other part of the SAS score is, is that synergy and anti synergy. And that is basically an attempt by the, the formula that in DOK to sort of figure out when cards are better together that that the raw arc score won't necessarily tell you mm-hmm. um and so it's it's trying to figure out how good that combo is
0: All right so, and so so every okay. card every card is based on a like a zero is the center point and it goes up to or down to um and that's kind of like where that system is from what i've what i've read i think and so with with that shift and stuff like that he's basically able to create a number that basically would give you a idea of how much your arc is affected by the things that the cards in the vacuum do with other cards outside of the vacuum like the interactions and stuff so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i am not a big fan of that part of SAS. even though that's what SAS stands for synergies anti-synergies <laughs> I, i'm not a, a overly Big fan of it. Uh, I like raw arc m- way more than I like adjusted arc.
1: Uh, well, I think it's it's trying, it's, it's attempting to do the thing that we're also attempting to do as we we look at the deck, mm-hmm. right, and trying to figure out, um, you know, hey, how good is right that such and such card mm-hmm. in this deck, mm-hmm. right? Like, is the um, you know is the uh, control of the week very good or is it super good right mm-hmm. and hey your control of the week is normally just very good but it might be super good if you've got right a big board clear right if you can gateway to this and then control the week into the house the player your opponent just played and played out you know four saurian creatures and you just blow them all away and control the weak into saurian like you can like you can put them in the tough spot whereas if you don't have that board clear it's still a good card and you can still you know put them on the house they probably wouldn't have called anyway but it's not necessarily going to be as powerful as otherwise would so it's that sort of um those sorts of things that synergy score tries to look for
0: Right, and uh, you can find all these details in the Synergy details list underneath your box that you normally look at. Um, it gives you a full breakdown of how he it basically rated everything that has a score towards your SAS. So, um, you can kind of research and see how those numbers match up to whether you believe them or you don't believe them. Um, but again these are based off opinions of people who play the game a lot um and it's not just one person um, he has a team of people that do it so um Caro has been a good friend of nathan's for a long time you have z you have all kinds of SAS players like uh and they do pretty well at tournaments if you haven't paid attention um but um they they have a good feel for the game so SAS is not a tool to be ignored at all but um My nutshell is simple it's like i go by the rules of 10 i look uh, for 10 10 10 20. i look for something close in that range anyway plus or minus a couple doesn't really shy me off um i look for a high base arc um i think it matters the most to me um, and I look for like relatively no syner- anti-synergy. Like anti-synergy does hurt, and uh, it's usually pretty active. Like when you see a number in the anti-synergy group, that means that there's something that is really not jiving with the deck's like identity, which is important to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine you got maybe a pair of ammonium clouds or something, but then you just got a whole bunch of two and three power creatures. And right? so.
0: Pay hey, those that Ammonium never Clouds.
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> so, those cards are probably going to be dead cards for you. Right? So, that, um, whereas if you've got a whole bunch of heavy Sanctum armored guys, then, hey, you probably want to play those Ammonium Clouds because you're going to get maybe one damage on each of your guys. You're going to destroy a whole bunch of your opponent's board. And then, hey, that probably synergizes with a cleansing wave and you get a bunch of Ember out of it. So, um, that's where, composition of your deck matters.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, I think that's going to do it for the SAS talk for now. Um, We can probably revisit this if we need to at some point. We did Mm -hmm. go... Kind of quick through it in some points and dragged out a couple of others. But um, all in all, it's pretty good. But uh, something me and Draz are going to do moving on forward, um, I think we're going to do one card each today since we were going to do a couple. But I think since this ran a little bit longer than I expected, we can uh, do this.
1: But we're going to get talking, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah, we're going to do a game called uh, Devil's Advocate. And um, the idea of this game is to... Try to bring awareness and situational like pros and cons to different cards. So the idea here is is that draz is going to give me one a, a, a deck that he's going to read off what the deck is what the card is. I'm um, sorry, not deck, but what the card is. Um, and he's going to tell us all about the card, and he's going to tell us all the good things that happen because of this card, what can he can do with the good car, parts of the card. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the devil's advocate, and I'm going to give the things that can be hindering to the card, or basically not synergistic to the card. Um, and then I'm going to give him a card, and I'm going to give him all the pros after I read it, and, and he's going to have to respond to my card with the cons. So basically, we're going to play this game, we're going to call it Devil's Advocate, because uh, the idea here is to not just look at a card in a vacuum, and to look at it at in, in its full entirety. So, um, And this is fun for us too, because it gives us a little bit of a brain exercise. So. With that said, in that introduction, I will let Drazkor introduce card number one.
1: Mm-hmm. So I have selected for this game the Harbinger of Doom, which is a two-powered disc creature. It's got three armor, and it says uh, has a destroyed effect. Destroy each creature. The artwork is kind of fun, too. Um, so, so why is this card great? Well, it's a board clear with... Sort of no cost, right? No chains, no omega, uh, and it's just going to blow everything up, right? So that's pretty cool. So you pair this with a draining touch, you um, you got a re- nice nice little combo there. If you uh, maybe if you have an obsidian forge, you can you know just sacrifice them that way. A scullion. There's a number of different ways. There's the um, uh, whatever that card is that destroys a demon. Um, uh i forgot the name of it actually um a lot of different ways in uh, in the mass mutation set to take him out wipe the board and then for you just go ahead and start playing out creatures and uh kate uh, get the board advantage on your side so he's uh, he can be pretty cool
0: yeah um Harbinger of Doom is definitely a cool card and uh, has its potential values, uh, especially with things like Obsidian Forge and stuff, but uh, my counterpoint to why maybe Harbinger of Doom is not the total package is that he is a creature that has to come into play. He does carry with him three armor. The three armor actually makes it a bit difficult for a lot of the AoE type spells to get rid of him and... um, sometimes that means that you have to vest a little bit more attitude into it but also um when you are ahead on board count and and on the board in, uh, in stage he becomes either a dead card in your hand a card you have to pitch out or a card that you can play and your opponent can take advantage of um so he his downsides really come in the idea that um he's a creature that destroys other creatures. So he is uh, basically an attrition issue, with the idea that when he comes into play, he's going to have to basically kill himself. But the more he kills, like if you kill more enemies, if you're killing more of your enemies creatures than you are killing your own creatures, then you're then you're then you're absolutely right. There's a pro to that. But for every time that you play Harbringer and Harbringer dies and you lose more creatures than your opponent, then Harbringer is a double-edged sword. So that is the cons to Harbringer, in my opinion.
1: Sure, and just like any board clear, sometimes you just got to discard it, right? Because you're ahead on board, and uh, you you like the board state. Um, But having that protection in your deck is super valuable to get you out of those tough spots.
0: Right. So, um, I mean, I've said all I can say about my my con for Harbringer of Doom. Um, yeah maybe one
1: other con just to throw out there Mm -hmm. is uh it can also you can accidentally give your opponent the initiative to figure out when to blow up the board if you just slap them down and they can decide whether or not to attack into him and kill him on their next turn
0: yeah i i I mentioned that that basically it becomes a tool once it hits the board it's kind of scary yep so all right cool so my card for you Mm -hmm. my, my pro card is my favorite card of all time and that mm-hmm. is Control the Weak. Um, control mm. the Weak is an action card that comes with a pip. So you instantly get uh, a gain um, from that. And then you basically play this card to lock your opponent into a any house that is on its identity card. Um, choose a house on your opponent's identity card, your opponent must choose that house as their active house on their next turn. So basically, as long as they have a like the house, a house basically in player in, in in his deck, like it doesn't have to necessarily be printed, um, as long as they have a creature that is part of that house or a, something that is part of that house, then you are able to just lock an opponent into a thing. This is a tactical card. It's made to be played at crucial times um, where you can gain advantages off of that. Um, a lot of the times, Control of the Week is best played when your opponent just played like a plethora of things from one house and uh, you can basically lock them down by putting them there or maybe it's like, you know, the fourth or fifth turn into a game and they've played two of their houses very heavily and um, the third house hasn't showed up yet. There's a good t- good chance to basically grab, a, uh, grab an advantage by making them uh, dealing with whatever they've brought out, and then putting them in a lock that keeps them out of that house. Um, it also acts as a jab to the uppercut of a Restricted Guntus, as um, if you can hit somebody with Control of the Week and know that they can't go somewhere, then your Restricted Guntus now has a, a better idea of where it can strike to basically end the game. So it can be used as a utility and a, a extra card to um, set all that up. So those are all my pros to control of the week.
1: Yeah. Alright, well you picked a pricked a pretty good card for me to have to sound make sound not so great. So <laughs> ooh, let's see. Um let's start with uh card art's only mediocre. How's, <laughs> how's that? <laughs> I mean, it's alright. You know, I, is that a niffle on the front? Weak. I don't know. It's, yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> um well, you know, how about this one? You know, so so certainly you can you can sometimes set up situations where, hey, it's super strong. You can force them to do something. But sometimes you're just guessing, right? Sometimes, you, hey, they got 2-2 two, two on the board, two 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 on the board. What do they have in their hand? They played a few cards last turn. They got a bunch in their archives. You know, if you've got a player who knows how to play against Control the Weak, they, they've set themselves up so that, hey, whatever you try to put them on in that moment, they've got an answer to right you played out your restiguntus and and uh, then you tried to control the week or or you played out your Ember Imp. hey they've they've got something ready to go in their archives or in their hand or on the board in in many different houses to deal with whatever you're trying to do so um so i think when you're playing against a very skilled player sometimes this card disappoints you you you're counting on it as a knockout card and then uh, and then they just they come back and say hey i'm still I'm still in good shape and uh, i I advanced my game plan so it's uh I think maybe maybe the con is it, it it feels like the perfect card, but sometimes it turns out not to be well
0: yeah I think that timing is definitely an issue with when and how you play control of the week, so I can give you that as a as a definitely a good con um, I also think that control of the week has like inherent value at any time that your opponent is going to like dump a hand and you basically lock them into that like you po- like you clear whatever they did and then you put them back into that same house I think that's the short answer to like how like quickly you can impact a game with control of the week because time walk is time walk if you get a free a free turn and then you get to come right back into your next turn without them doing anything you are mm-hmm. at a, you are at a massive advantage and that is why control of the week is one of the best cards in keyforge mm-hmm Mm-hmm. it has a fifty five point five percent win rate,
1: pretty good yeah pretty good, just to make any deck within it that yeah. much better, pretty good
0: yeah so well, that's our game that's devil's advocate hopefully you guys learned something or you at least got a different perspective on it um I did give him a Monster of a card. Like I said, I think it's mm-hmm. the best card in the uh, in the game. Hard to find weaknesses with it, even though it's called control of the week. Um, I guess the biggest weakness is in the name. Um, but uh, <laughs> but um, it's a pretty cool name. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, that's all we got for this this round. Um we're hitting that hour mark, we're a little bit over, but uh we got long winded a bit. Um hopefully you guys don't mind. Hopefully you had a good time. If you have something that you want us to talk about or you want us to discuss, this is pretty much two guys getting together just having fun and talking KeyForge um while we get through this pandemic since we don't have a ton to do. And you can hear Harlan in the background. He is jamming out, but it's time for him to go to bed, so he is going to be sad. Um <laughs> But uh with that said, this is Jupiter from Meliosis New York
1: and this is Drasgor. happy forging everyone
0: yeah keep up the amber thank you for tuning into the podcast and if you would like to be part of the conversation reach out to us at keyforge premier league at com and join the show without you we couldn't be us check out www.keyforge.com premierleague.com for links to all our content including learn to play videos and critique on gameplays no matter what your level is you are always welcome be a part of it the keyforge premier league
1: get there